Hello, church family. Today we are going to look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 12. And um, this is really the turning point in the book of Acts because now the emphasis is on uh, Paul. Um, in the last chapter, chapter 12, uh, Peter was uh, under arrest. Herod wanted to kill uh, Christians to try to make people feel um, opposed and what he did was uh, he killed James and then he probably put Peter in prison but then an angel released Peter and the church was celebrating and Herod uh, after failing to do that uh, or really his soldiers um, failed to um, or at least in Herod's mind the soldiers failed to uh, keep Peter and as a result they were executed and uh, as Herod was kind of celebrating a little bit there was a group of people that the audience was calling him a voice of God uh, and not of man. And uh, he was trying to really rob glory from the Lord. Um, and the result of that is he was killed. Uh, the Lord struck him and he died. Uh, and um, so he was eaten by worms and died. And uh, I mentioned how uh, Josephus, a, a historian, uh, during those uh, first few uh, decades, um, just kind of, it was almost like a, a secular account of the book of Acts uh, said that he actually took it, it took five days before he um, died from his sickness. All that to show is that uh, God uh, will always preserve his name and he will always preserve his church. Um, God will always protect his own name because he is, the, he is worthy of all praise and his name cannot be tainted uh, or it cannot be corrupted. Anyone that tries to diminish the value of God will see to it, the wrath of God. Now, when we get to this chapter, the focus is on uh, Paul's ministry. And as we go through this, we see how now the gospel is, is now slowly spreading to the ends of the earth here. Uh, remember how in the beginning of the book of Acts, it said, uh, Jesus told him to, to show the gospel to Jerusalem, then Judea, to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So now we're moving towards that. The story is, is progressing to the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And we in and out, and we see how Paul is being used here for that particular purpose. So let's look at chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menanin, uh, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So uh, this right off the bat, we see that there's actually very interesting. Antioch was a very uh, well-taught church. It was a very unique location and is made up of different teachers. And all of these different people, from Barnabas, Simeon, uh, to Lucius, to many, some of these names are familiar to us. Uh, but what's really interesting to highlight is that uh, this is a mixed uh, ethnic church. It isn't strictly Jewish and isn't all Gentiles. And this is all, is a mixed church and these are all godly individuals. And again, to put this in the context of the rest of the book of Acts, this is about 25 years after Pentecost. So there is a little bit of a time jump here from chapter 12 to 13, and the story kind of continues on and explains that uh, in this particular church, there is a mix of Gentile and Jewish Christians. That unity that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 2, uh, they're practicing it here. Um, and even in Galatians, it says there's neither Jew or Greek. Um, uh, you know, anyone can go to the Lord. Um, it's not based on your ethnicity or gender or anything like that, but faith in Jesus Christ. And as time progressed, the, uh, the Lord had raised up these individuals and they're 
teachers and leaders and prophets uh, of this church and um, and that they were thriving in a lot of ways. Uh, these godly leaders um, are, you know, it was a part of the reason why I think they, they, this church was special is because these leaders are, are special themselves. Uh, the church can never rise above the knowledge and the godliness of its leaders. So you can really see at any church uh, based on their maturity or their or knowledge of scripture based on, on the leadership there. And the, and the five men that's, mixed, that's, that's uh, listed here are godly people that, um, that is teaching their people and the people are, are growing in that way. Um, and that's just the uh, good way analysis of our, you know, of, our, of our leaders. When you think about us as elders and um, pastors and other church leaders, um, you know, you should always be in continual prayer for us as we strive to live godly lives and to always protect the doctrine that has been entrusted to us from, uh, from of, you know, of ages past. And you know, I always covet people's prayers in terms of making sure that uh, the elders and the pastors are walking faithfully with the Lord. Uh, because, how, because oftentimes we look at a very bad church is because the leaders are corrupted. Um, and that, I mean, that's just general, since there are churches where there are bad, good pastors and bad churches too. Uh, but generally speaking, churches that have godly leaders will have a godly congregation. And that is because the way that they teach God's word. Verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul who the work, uh, for the work for which I have called them. So uh, Paul and, I mean, all, all five of them, they're just ministering to the Lord. And what does that mean? I think here is, it's just basically anything that they do as an act of worship to the Lord, whether that is preaching or praying or teaching, or evangelizing, caring for people. Everything that they were doing is to the Lord. And as they were doing these things and fasting, the Holy Spirit told them to set apart for them a Barnabas and Saul. And they were called for a particular purpose, uh, that the God used, uh, God moved the people that are moving in the church. Uh, and by that I mean that uh, God will never use someone that is lazy in the church. Uh, only people that are striving to uh, do ministry, that's, those are the people that God will move to different types of ministry if He wills it. Um, I had a mentor that said that you cannot steer a parked car, and that's this general idea that as you do ministry, the Lord may use you and move you to a particular spot because you're faithful in those areas. And that's something that you and I need to consider in, w in the way that we do our ministry. In the church that we're serving in now, um, you, if you want to be used by God, you have to do something. You can't expect to do nothing and, and expect God to do something in your life. Uh, the first thing you need to do is really to see that your life is a stewardship and whatever ministry you want to be involved in, uh, you just jump in. Uh, there are people that, uh, there are ministries in our church that are always in need of different people, and uh, there's always looking for new volunteers, and if that's something that, whatever ministry may be, if, if the Lord's tugging on your heart to do that, uh, then the Holy Spirit is moving you towards that direction, then you should totally do it. And it's only in that way that the Lord can, um, can use you if you are participating in the work of the ministry. Verse 3, Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So there's, you know, they were doing a lot of spiritual uh, things like ministry where it says fasting here. It shows in verse 2 and verse 3. So, you know, we can get a whole different tangent of what, what's the point of fasting. But I would say this, that fasting oftentimes is, is good, is a good discipline. It's not a command that has in, is in Scripture, but it's often used in Scripture to describe 
uh, a time where you need to devote time for prayer. Um, you know, taking time away from what you would do to eat to focus on prayer. And usually it's during times of very distress that people use it or will fast. You know, Jesus was fasting before, um, and he did it so that he can uh, really just be communed with the Lord uh, closely in that way. Um, and that's where we want to be too when we're thinking about spiritual things. Sometimes the best way to help us think more objectively is actually to fast, is to devote more time to prayer, the time that you would have spent eating or enjoying food, you use you cut that, those things out for a little bit of while, for for some time, so that you can devote your time in prayer, and, and trying to seek the will of the Lord. And that's what they're doing. They were ministering. They're fasting. The uh, the Holy Spirit tells them to go to. Uh, they they're going to go be used by the Lord in a special way, and they laid hands on them, which is, is shows a solidarity. There's a, there's a unity in all of them, and of the five, two of them are going to be sent away. Uh, by the Lord to do a particular ministry. Verse 4, so they, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Selkuya, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they all also had John as their helper. Uh, this person, John, is John Mark of the, uh, the guy that wrote uh, the Gospel of Mark. At least uh, theologians argue that 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 he is he's a disciple of Peter in a lot of ways. Um, that's why the Gospel of Mark is often uh, said as the, the Gospel according to Peter, and it's just written by Mark. This is the same guy. Uh, he took uh, John or John Mark with them, and, uh, and they were just ministering God's word in the synagogues. They were doing evangelism there. Verse 6, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar Jesus. Um, this place, uh, Paphos, um, it's known for their sexual sin. In fact, the uh, the, the the I think the Greek god Venus uh, came. Well, the story is that she was birthed here by, by sea by foam from the sea, and um, so this place is a very debauched place. It's known for their sexual sin, uh, but not only that. In this particular context, there is this uh, magician. Or a sorcerer, or someone that just does, um, you know, try to do supernatural things to commune with the dead and things like that. Kind of like a, a modern day, like a like a psychic or medium kind of person. Uh, so he's a Jewish uh, false prophet. So uh, I mean, this is just a guy that's ethnically Jewish, and he just claimed to speak to the dead. And um, his name is Bar Jesus, uh, which is interesting and ironic because his name, you know, Bar Jesus, means son of salvation, and he did everything but that. He was not the son of salvation at all. He didn't bring salvation. He brought a lie to everyone. Verse 7, who was uh, with the proconsul, uh, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So in this area, there's this man that really wants to seek the Lord. He, he's known as a man of intelligence, uh, which I thought is very fascinating that in our day, people that seek to try to find truth in Christianity are not known as intelligent people. But in this particular passage, uh, Paulus is described as a man of intelligence because he tried to seek and hear the word of God. And understand that, you know, 1 Corinthians tells us that the foolishness of, of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. You know, there's just things that is of the truth that the world will not accept. Uh, and seeking the one true God is one of the things that the world does not care about. They care about um, everything else except for truth, and all truth really points to the 
origin of truth, which is the Lord. And this person was there, but then there was this uh, Paphias, this false prophet, magician person that was in his life. Uh, and, and, you know, and there's like, now there's like a, like a spiritual warfare going on between battle between those that are believing and teaching false lies and those that are believing and teaching the truth. Verse uh, 8, But Almas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight way of the Lord? So, you know, there's this, you know, this magician person that's trying to fight the, the, the apostles. And, um, and it's natural that whenever... Whenever you hold to truth, whether it's in your private life or in, or wherever in public ministry, whatever it may be, the natural reaction of what happens when you're trying to speak truth is that there will be those that are going to oppose you. And oftentimes some of those opposition are demonic, whether it be, um, you know, scientism or some sort of other religious group or, uh, or just people living in their sin. It's often the case that when you're speaking of the things that are true, uh, that's from the Word of God, you will find opposition. You find that those that are um, for sin or things that are for uh, or anti-God will never get that many opposition because they are on the same team. But as Christians, when we're doing this, when we're sharing the gospel, when we're trying to be a good testimony at work, you will find that there will be opposition in our life. Uh, just so this, expect that as a norm. And Paul here, he he decides to go out and rebuke um, he, re he rebukes this person and said so he fixed his gaze on him. So I just imagine like, okay, this is like, uh, you know, Paul generally seems to portray be portrayed as a gentle person, but when he comes, when it comes to defending God's word, he's like, okay, he's on, he's one track mind, he's going to go attack. He, 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 he tells him that he's full of deceit and fraud, he's some of the devil, he's of all righteousness, and he was basically uh, calling him out. Um, and he's dealing with demonic teachings with doctrine uh, he's basically countering like you are a liar he's going against him with theology here and we see um what happens in verse 11 now behold the hand of the lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time and immediately a mist of darkness fell upon him he was not seeking those who would lead him by the hand so there's this curse that is placed upon him uh, that he's now blind and that, you know, what's, what's worse than physical blindness that he's gotten from the Lord is that he is spiritually blinded by the devil. And I think this is supposed to be an illustration for this person to see, like, hey, you know what's worse uh, than just teaching these false teaching is that you buy into it and you're held in darkness. Um, it's supposed to give him like almost like an illustration of what it's like uh, that he's, he thinks he's speaking in truth, but he's really living a lie. He thinks he's living in light, but he's actually living in darkness. Uh, and, he, and he was blinded by it. Then the pro-council believed when he saw what, ha what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. See, this pro-council, they were trying to seek truth, and there was demonic people that were trying to go against the, uh, the teaching of, of, of Scripture and of Jesus Christ. And the result of that is that this one, the, the people that are opposing God, end up being blinded. And we understand in our day and age that, yes, we don't think demonic activity is like the things that you see in the movies, but any false teaching is demonic. Any type of um, uh, group that is 
uh, as advocating something that the Bible doesn't teach us is demonic. Um, any type of worldly philosophy is demonic. Anything that against, again that counters the word of God is demonic. And we as Christians, just like Paul, the only thing we can really do is rely on the Holy Spirit and speak the truth into things that are of error. Uh, we're no, we don't need um, to try to do some sort of social movement to you know, fix anything. Those things will not last. What we do need, though, is being filled with the Holy Spirit and go and speak the truth in love and to and live in truth. Um, and the result of their faithfulness, because of verse 12, the whole, the whole pro-council believed. You know, they ended up believing in the faith because of the faithfulness of Paul and Saul, and, and, and even or Paul, Saul, and, and, and Barnabas here. And uh, they, they were teaching God's word. People got saved through it. And, of course, this is funny that uh, this person, uh, you know, the, the false teacher is blinded, but those that are, um, is that he's blinded physically and spiritually, and, and everyone else, they see it. And then, and then they ha they believe. So they have not just physical sight, but their spiritual sight is also revealed, is open. Their eyes are open so that they can uh, receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And that's what happens, that when uh, people decide to go against the Lord, eventually they'll live in complete darkness. But the believers, they will see the light. That's where we are at in our day and age. Uh, the solution to some of the crazy teaching in the world is not to... Uh, dumb down our doctrine, but to hold fast to what we know and to teach the truth in a way that um, and compels and invites them to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, that's it for this episode. Uh, we'll continue on <clears throat> the book of Acts, uh, chapter 13, uh, I guess next time. Thank you for listening. Uh, have a great day.